0: Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Today's Father's Day, so I want to wish a special Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And it made me think of my father. I thought about how blessed I was to have a father who was all about other people. He was a great example that way. He took care of our family and he sadly didn't take care of himself though. So he passed away at a young age due to health problems. But I remember being at his memorial service and celebrating his life. So imagine if while at the memorial service and the casket is up front, imagine if it opened and my dad stepped out and just started walking and talking. That would be Like really weird, wouldn't it? (laughs) That would be amazing. Well, what I'm here to tell you today, that's exactly what happens when someone's converted from darkness to light in Christ. We come out of the tomb, we come out of the casket, and we're alive. And we take off our grave clothes and we walk around and talk and we live eternally. We go to the next world eternally with Christ. That's the amazing miracle. Of conversion, look at what Paul wrote. Writes actually in Ephesians chapter two, it's all explained right here. He says, "You were dead in your transgressions and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised up with him, and seated us with him." In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That actually happened. That's the supernatural power of a spiritual conversion from someone who was dead in their sins and is alive in Christ. Think about that. Think about how miraculous that is. Someone who was dead is now alive. And then to seal the deal, God comes and lives inside of us by his spirit. In this once dead body comes alive in Christ, and that dead person who's been raised to life with Christ, not just for this life, but eternal life, lives. That's miraculous. Everyone that's come out of the tomb, out of the casket, and has been brought to life has a conversion story. What's your story? John Newton who wrote the incredible hymn, Amazing Grace, was by all definition a debauched sailor, who was described by one of his former employers as a man of unsettled behavior and impatience of restraint. And of himself, Newton wrote, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. Newton became a well-known captain in the slave ship industry, of which he later wrote, a business at which my heart now shudders. And it was during a severe storm on a ship at sea when Newton came to faith in Jesus Christ, when he cried out for mercy, and it was the same Jesus Christ that his mother had talked about to him as a child. Newton struggled his entire life with seizures. Later in his life, after Becoming blind in both eyes, he penned these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found Was blind But now I see. Newton, although he was physically blind, his spiritual eyes came open and he wrote about that grace, that amazing grace and mercy. Because here's the deal. We're all like John Newton. We're all captive and hopeless in a sinking ship of sin and death. But God, if not for God, we'd be sunk. But because of God and his love for us and his mercy, we're alive. Our eyes are open and we see the truth in Jesus Christ. That's why today as we talk about part six of my series, A New Normal, what to expect when we get out of this, we're going to talk about a new convert, Paul, who was Saul. And we're going to talk and hopefully find ourselves in the story of Saul's conversion. So what happened to Paul? Well, first, Paul's conversion was supernatural. No one can save themselves. No one can convert themselves. No dead person can in themselves walk out of the tomb. It has to be an outside force. So Saul, like you and me, was dead in his sin and transgressions. And he came to life. Now, let's talk a little bit about Saul, who became Paul. Saul was an incredibly knowledgeable theologian. He was a Pharisee's Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin Council. He was discipled by one of the most respected teachers and rabbis of the time, Gamaliel. Saul referred to himself as being blameless and righteous under the law. He kept the law outwardly, but we know in Romans 7, he didn't keep the law inwardly. But Paul was zealous, he was driven, and he was passionate. But Saul was spiritually lost. And like you and me, he needed to be found. Now, I always wonder, why in the world would his parents give him the name of Saul? Because if you think about Saul who was the first king of Israel, which by the way, Saul and Paul were both from the tribe of Benjamin. So I'm sure there was some connection there that they named Saul after this king, the first king of Israel. Saul was jealous. He was insecure. He was someone who disobeyed God and caused Israel great grief. That would not be the type of person I'd want to name my son after. And maybe that had to do something with the reason that Paul change his name because maybe after paul's conversion he realized that old man saul is dead and i'm now a new person in christ who's alive whether you change your name or not that's not the point the point is this you are not the person you were before we're going to find saul's conversion in acts chapter 9 Saul in Acts is first mentioned during the stoning of Stephen, which we talked about last week. He was a witness to the stoning of Stephen. He actually condoned it, and he supported this mob of -of out-of-control, self-righteous religious leaders. He was the one where they placed their robes so they could free their hands to get better action on their throwing arm to kill Stephen. They placed their robes at the feet of Saul, and the Bible says that Saul was in hearty agreement with the death of Stephen. And in Acts chapter 8 verse 3, we read that Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Saul was on a mission to destroy God's church. I don't know about you, I'm so glad the Bible doesn't leave stuff like this out. The Bible is very open and transparent about the characters in the Bible, about their sin, about their mistakes. And by the way, who wrote Acts? Luke. Luke was very close to Paul. So I'm sure Luke maybe asked, hey, Paul, do you mind if I leave that part in? I'm glad they did. Because if they left it out, we wouldn't know the backstory of Saul, the murderer. The one who... Thought he was defending God, but he was in fact destroying God's church. Paul was passionate, but he was passionately wrong. And that's when God enters. So turn in your Bible to chapter 9 of Acts. And we're going to go through this together. It starts with, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, who by the way at this time was Ananias, that was the name of the high priest, and asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way and that's what they called the followers of Jesus, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem and as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. By the way, that's an interesting statement. How is he persecuting Jesus? Well, he was persecuting Jesus' body, the church. And Jesus goes on and says, But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he couldn't see anything. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus, and he was Three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Here's what I want you to know about this part Saul was on his high horse, going on a mission, thinking he was defending God and he was wrong. And God had to knock him off his high horse and humble him, which, by the way, Paul, the name Paul means little or humble. And in verse 10, it says, Now, There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now, isn't that interesting? It's the same name as a high priest. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard so many things about this man, how much harm he's done to your church and your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind who call all who call on your name. So God knocks Saul off his high horse and then sends Ananias from God's church to touch him. He was blind, but now he's gonna see the truth. That's supernatural. That was ordained before the foundation of the world. God knew that's how he was gonna get Saul's attention. Next, Paul's conversion was providential. It was supernatural. It was also providential because it's a sovereign activity ordained by God. God is the one who chooses the one who he calls. We have a choice to answer, but God is the one who makes the first move. If he were not to make the first move, we would not have a chance, because remember, dead people can't do anything. So let's continue in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, for Saul is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from Saul's eyes something like scales And he regained his sight and he got up and he was baptized and he took food and he was strengthened. That's the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ in action. Let's talk about this verse 15 for a minute. Notice the different aspects of God's sovereignty. First, it says, Saul was chosen as my instrument, and that word can mean vessel. Saul thought his life was going one way and he had it pretty good. But God's providence had another plan for Saul. God chose Saul. Saul did not choose God. God had to knock him off his high horse and set him from a crooked way to straight street. And Paul later understood. He wrote about it in Galatians. He says, God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. That's amazing. And then in Ephesians 1, 4, he includes every believer. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. We should thank God every day that He chose us because we were dead. And without Him, we'd be still in the casket. And everyone has a God-given purpose. When He chose you, it's because of His will and His love for you to be His instrument. One of the things I've got to do in my life as a professional musician, was to play with some incredible musicians. And I can honestly say the most incredible musician and piano player that I've ever had to play with was a guy named Richard Carpenter. He and his sister had a band in the 70s that had multi-platinum albums. Karen had passed away. Richard called me to go on tour with him to Japan. We fly to Japan, and we're in Tokyo, And we go into the rehearsal studio to rehearse. And I walk in and I was amazed that there were two nine-foot grand Baldwins. That was his favorite piano. Two nine-foot black, expensive Baldwin pianos next to each other. I was like, why are there two? Maybe I get to play one. No, that's not what happened. Richard goes up to one, plays, goes to the next one. He goes... I want that one. And they haul the other one away. That was just the rehearsal. He was that picky about the type of instrument he would play. Listen, God is the master artist. And he wants to play in your life a song that you would have never imagined if you would just let him be his instrument. Be his instrument. See, music only comes from the instrument when someone plays it. The piano doesn't play itself unless it's a player piano. But it only comes, it only is played by someone who knows how to play it. Now, why wouldn't you let God, the one who chose you as his instrument, play you as his instrument? I'm so glad that God chose me as his instrument. Jesus goes on. He doesn't just say an instrument. There's a purpose. It's specific. He says, I chose him to take up my name before Gentiles, kings, and Israel. So Saul was knocked off his high horse, not just to be any instrument, but to do specific things. And Paul wrote about it. In Galatians 1 again, he says, God who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, Paul fought against God's calling. Do you know that? Because later in Acts 26, if you turn there, listen to what happened. Now, Paul's giving his testimony before King Agrippa later in his life, and he adds more details to the testimony. So he says in verse 12 of uh, chapter 26, While so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me, and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's the only part that we see in chapter 9, but it goes on. Jesus says, Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? Well, that's the tool that was used to drive cattle. And when the cattle kicked against it, it was prickly and they didn't like that. Paul was fighting against God's will. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you. Now, remember, this is after Jesus had died, risen, and he's ascended. He says, I have appeared to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion or kingdom of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So, Jesus is very specific. About Paul's calling. Now, have you ever fought against the goats? Have you ever fought against God's will? You know, when God told me to plant this church in uh, 2003, I fought God. I fought Him incessantly. I said, Lord, I'm not the guy. I'm not a preaching pastor. I just want to stay at the piano and be a worship guy. I literally said to Jesus, Lord, If you're calling me to start this church, you better send a preaching pastor because I'm not him. And after that, God had to send me on a three-year journey to knock me off my horse through the valley of the shadow of death till I was willing to surrender in humility and worship. God, I'm your instrument. If you want me to step away from the piano and talk, I'll do it. If you want me to stand in my house in front of a camera and preach the gospel because people are hearing this and need to hear it I'll do it lord if you want us to try some place that we don't know if it's going to be the right place but you do we'll do it because it's not about me it's not about you and until you get knocked off your horse you don't know this i was talking to one of my professors at seminary i was saying i've ever wondered why god chose paul for the gentiles because to be honest with you if i were god i would have chosen peter because peter was like a gentile he was like a fisherman man he like spoke the gentile language why did god choose paul for the gentiles and peter to the jews that doesn't make sense doesn't have to make sense but i do tell you this when you study Paul's life and you see how he spoke at a level intellectually for all those philosophers and people who thought they knew it all, and he would debate them. In theology, they would lose. God knows what he's doing. God never makes mistakes. He's always right. The problem is not with God's calling. The problem is with your defiance. Maybe you've forgotten how merciful and loving God was to even pull you out of the casket and save your life in the first place. Maybe you forgot that God loves to play a new song in your life, but you still like the old songs. Maybe you've forgotten that incredible calling that God has placed in your life and he's given you specifics and you're like, no, I'm not the guy or I'm not the girl, whatever. That's your horse. And some people say, oh, you know, I'm just not good enough or whatever. That's false pride. Because if you were truly humble, you would say, Lord, use me however you want. Paul didn't forget his calling. In Romans 9, 23, he said, God call me so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand. He's calling himself a vessel of mercy. And other people who need to be vessels of mercy, they needed to hear the message that God had given Paul. So Paul's on this crooked road to destruction when God knocks him off his horse, opens his eyes to the truth, sets him on straight street, and providentially saves him. And then the last little part about that verse, why did God choose Paul again? The last part is interesting. He says, I chose Paul to suffer for my name. Now, that's the tough one. I don't mind. I mean, if you want to use me for whatever purpose, but please don't use me to suffer See, Saul had it all. I mean, he was well-known in the Jewish community. He could have lived a long life, retired with good benefits. Instead, God chose him to suffer for Christ's name. Paul preached to governors and kings, and none of them asked for his death. They actually listened to him. You know who asked for his death? His own brothers, the sons of Israel. They asked for his death. And for Paul, that was the hardest thing of all. He could not bear the weight of Israel's rejection of the gospel. He was mistreated, abandoned, imprisoned, and persecuted. But even in the midst of pain and suffering, Paul never gave up because he knew that he was being played by the master artist and that the suffering was only for a while. In fact, in Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, because you have to experience death before you experience life there was an old elton john song that had the lyric sad songs say so much remember that song well paul knew about a lot of sad songs see when you give yourself to the lord in submission and humility and you say lord i'm your instrument your vessel play whatever song you want we don't like the sad songs we just want the happy songs but it's the sad songs that say so much It's the sad songs that draw us close to Jesus. As the psalmist said, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And then Paul's conversion was substantial. It was real. It was meaningful. So let's go back to chapter 9 again and finish this up. Verse 20. Now for several days he was with disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, Jesus is the son of God. All those hearing him continue to be amazed and were saying, isn't this the guy in Jerusalem who was trying to destroy the church? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul because God revealed it. They were also watching the gates at night so they might put him to death. But his disciples took Saul in the night, and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Think about this Saul had it made. Paul's now coming through little windows in a basket to try and get away from being killed. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with disciples, and then look what happened. They didn't want to associate with him, they're afraid of him. Imagine if Osama bin Laden shows up in your church and he'd gotten saved. When you're like, oh my gosh, that's what's happening. Paul was on a mission to kill believers of Jesus Christ. And he walks into the church in Jerusalem and they're afraid of him. But look what happens, verse 27. Hospitality and grace. Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. Remember him? He's the one that sold his house and property and gave it to the church. Brought Paul to the apostles and described to them how Paul had seen the Lord and he shared about what happened. Paul was with them now, freely moving Jerusalem because of Barnabas, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord, and he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, or that word can be debating, and they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brothers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. And the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. That's the church in action. Now, as bad as things got for Paul, Paul never gave up. He never gave up. How did Paul stay faithful? I don't really know what was going through his mind, although he does write about things. But here's the thing. Paul never stopped serving Christ. As bad as it got, Paul kept in the race. He never left the ship and he kept his eyes on the prize. Now, there are times in my life where thoughts enter into my mind. David, it's time to quit. It's too hard. I'm too old. I'm getting old. I'm afraid. I'm not good at that. The list goes on and on and on. But that's when Peter's words come to my mind when he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm not going back to crooked Street." Shall I go back to being Saul? Or do I keep being Paul? And what do I even go back to? There's nothing left. I knew a guy who was a great leader in the church that I worked in a while ago, and he fell away and he went back to being a nightclub singer. And he changed his name and he changed his image and he became a well-liked, sought-after nightclub singer. He left leadership in the church, to be a nightclub singer. I kept thinking, that could be me. Would I ever do that? And the answer is, I could do that. But no, I'm not doing that. Because it's a dead-end road. God rescued me from that. He chose me as his instrument because my instrument was really out of tune and sounded really bad. I serve Christ, and I'll do whatever he wants, as long as he wants, by his grace, not my effort. See, Paul can never go back to Saul, and neither should you. So what do you expect when this is all over? First of all, expect God to use you to help love people. God wants to use you like Ananias, who God sent to love Saul, even though there was questionable about Saul. God wants to use you to love people who are like Saul, dangerous, angry, spiritually blind, and lost. And what if God sent us Saul into your life? Would you love him into the kingdom? Because Saul's need Jesus too. Next, expect God to use you to help save people. See, spiritual conversion is a supernatural activity, but guess what? We get to be a part of that supernatural activity When's the last time you saw someone's eyes open? When's the last time you saw someone turn from Crooked Street to Straight Street? When's the last time you saw someone leave the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God? You are God's vessel. So you need to let him be the captain of your ship, even if it means like Paul that your ship capsizes on a strange island because we should never neglect the islanders, the Saul's, the people who are lost and need... Help and need salvation. And then finally, expect God to use you to help disciple people. Listen, people get saved, but they need to be discipled. They need to be taught. That doesn't happen automatically. We see Paul doing this, writing letters to the church, encouraging the church, edifying the church. That's what we need to do. Our purpose at our church is to develop fully devoted followers of Christ. That can only happen if we're all involved in that mission and that ministry. Get plugged into the body of Christ. Now, here's the thing God didn't neglect Paul's past, He used Paul's past. He used his experience, He used his education, He even used Paul's sin. Read Romans 7. To help people know Christ. I love reading Romans 7 and not ending in 7, but going to 8 because it relates to my life. Paul helped save people, but he discipled them. As we end, I want you to say this. God chose you to be his instrument. Don't diminish the beauty of that instrument. God wants to play a song in your life that is so incredible. If you just let him. He wants to write that story. You got to hand the pen over to him. He's writing a song. It's a good song. He's the master artist. And he has beautiful music for your life. Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen us as your instrument. And I pray if there's anyone today who wants to step out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that they would pray this and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for knocking me off my high horse. And I want to in humility now serve you. I ask you to come into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, from rising from the dead, and for coming into my life by your Spirit. Make me a new person with a new song. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bardowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope, and reason, so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com.